Welcome back, everyone, to the Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We have a loaded show for you today detailing the AL West prospects, risers, fallers. Joining me today, as always, is Richie. Uh, Richie, what's going on? Hey, how's it going? I feel well-rested, way better than the last time we podcasted. I've got a, a few good nights sleep under me, so I feel a lot better, feel energized, ready to go. Yeah, I had a few comments asking me um, if you were tired, and I was like, well, you know, it's not the fact that he has a new child or that he works or, you know, this, this, those things are all not yeah, the reason I, I felt, why. I felt a little rough last one, but yeah. I feel um, a lot better this go-around, so I'm well, ready. let's jump into it. We wanted to talk a little bit about LSU Florida's finale that wrapped tonight. More importantly, kind of detailing some of the players that uh, will be drafted in the upcoming draft. Uh, LSU did blow out Florida. Like kind of a tale of two stories here. Florida did blow them out in Game 2. LSU is winning right now in the bottom of the ninth, 18-4. to four. Uh, So, Richie, we got a couple names. Let's start off with Dylan Cruz, projected first overall pick here. We were just detailing yes. his grades on MLB.com prospect slash draft. Kind of surprised at the grades that they gave him. Um, what do you think of the grading, and what are you projecting for Cruz moving forward? Yeah, we were just talking off the air about this, but uh, MLB Pipeline gives him a 70-grade hit tool, 60-grade power, which is phenomenal. Um Compared to what Termar Johnson got last year, he also got a 70-grade hit tool, 60-grade power, which... I think they're a little liberal with giving those grades um, to Termar Johnson. Dylan Cruz, I feel the hit tool is probably there. The power, you know, it's hard to translate power from college. You got the metal bat, you're playing lesser competition. So, and you're talking about younger guys. So I think his hit tool is phenomenal. I think he batted four, 500, pretty much his whole college career. So I believe that more so than the power. Um, I have no idea what kind of comps we're going to give, but I, I would say this is, in my mind, I think a highest touted prospect since we saw Spencer Torkelson come up through the draft. Um, as far, I hope his career is a lot better than what Spencer Torkelson has done to this point, but that's kind of my viewpoint on Dylan Cruz. I think he is a lock to go first overall to Pittsburgh. I do think Paul Skeens might go first overall to Pittsburgh because they could use pitching more than hitting, but I, I feel like you can't pass up Dylan Cruz. I feel like he's a lock. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the variant for pitching and the opportunity for Cruz being the position player that is highly touted. I, I think Cruz for me is probably the most can't miss since probably Chris Bryant. Um, I, th I think I probably would go with Bryant's talent level, at least the college and the collegiate level over Cruz uh, and also projectability. But I think Cruz, you know, you know what you're going to get for me. This is a Brian Reynolds comp kind of different profiles, but also similar. Um, and it's going to be ironic because they're going to be on the same team. But I think you're looking at a 280, 300 hitter with anywhere from 20 to 30 home runs and the ability to possibly steal 10 bases. And that's exactly what you need in Pittsburgh to build around Reynolds and O'Neill Cruz. You need a couple guys in your lineup that can be table setters, that can be productive, that can start to build the future of this organization as the Reds move on. And I think Skeens, from what I've talked with you and what I've seen, he looks like the real deal. I mean, I don't know of a college pitcher coming out maybe since Strasburg that I'm this excited about. Um, you know, we're concerned about usage, and that's something yeah, that I'm... Go ahead. 
there was an article by Baseball America, and they were highlighting pitchers that pitched in the College World Series that had went three turns within less than 15 days, which if Paul Skeen would have pitched today, he would have been in that same category. And they list, I mean, they're not as nearly highly touted, but almost none of them had, you've never heard of these guys because they never amounted to anything. I'm just going to go through a quick list. And it'll be quick because you probably don't recognize them. John Hudgens, Stanford, 2003. Andrew Beckworth, 2016. Michael Roth, 2011 and 2012. Uh, Jonah Nickerson from Oregon State, 2006. Bobby Dahlbeck um, in 2016. He's now a third or first baseman with the Boston Red Sox. So you might recognize that name. The list goes on and on. But the, the point of the article is pretty much your MLB career goes nowhere from this. So luckily he didn't pitch. But, I mean, we've talked off the air. His usage that he's gotten I think what he had 156 pitches in one game and that wasn't even the top. I think he had like 123, like LSU rode him to the, through the dirt this year. I mean, they needed him to get a world series, but what impact does that have on him long-term? And that's the only thing that I'm concerned about, but the stuff is ridiculous. I actually got to watch some of his highlights. And one of the first things I noticed when I was watching him was when he pitches, he doesn't have that full extension. It's like almost a half step, and he is able to pitch 101, 102 without getting all of that extension. So that in itself is impressive to me. Yeah, I just pulled Skeen's numbers up uh, just for reference point to see what he's done and, and to kind of see where his innings are at. So he started in 2021 at Air Force, um, 26 innings total. That would have been age 19. Pitched again at Air Force at 2022. That was age 20, had a 10-3 and record, had a 2-7-3 ERA, 85 innings, 96 strikeouts. So if we're looking at Skeens like we would any other pitcher, we're looking for a 40-60, to 60, 60 being the high-end cap on innings the following year. So here we are in 2023, Skeens 122 innings for LSU now after the transfer, 12-2, and two, uh, 1-6-9 ERA, 209 strikeouts. So we saw a massive jump in his production this year, but... He's actually at the lower end of that um, that rotating cycle that we want to see for innings. So, you know, the pitch usage per game is going to concern me, and those are things I'll probably look at as we get closer to the draft to actually detail how many pitches per game he was throwing. But I told you I like the body at 6'6". Uh, the weight's good at 235, good frame already. Uh, they have him listed as an 80-grade fastball, 70-grade slider. Does come in with a, um, an average uh, changeup, which is okay. You know, he's going to have to develop that. But uh, pretty much what I've seen and read is that he's been primarily fastball slider. And I think the fastball is like 70%. I want to say 70 to 80%. I could be wrong on that. And the other slider. And yeah, he throws that changeup, but almost never. He does have a curveball, which isn't showing up on his chart for MLB. But I mean, I, I doubt he uses it that much if it's not even listed on the scouting report. So. I see mostly fastball slider and can he develop that change up and curveball? But it reminds me a lot of Spencer Strider. He gets away with just the fastball slider and yes, Strider has a change up, but he almost never uses it either. So that's interesting. The other thing that pops in my mind when we're talking about college pitchers is you mentioned 
he's the best thing since Steven Strasburg. What's funny is this time last year, Paul Skeens wasn't the pitcher that was being highlighted as the next Steven Strasburg. It was actually Chase Dolander or Dolander of Tennessee, yep. and he pretty much fell flat on his face this year. Uh, I don't have his college numbers, but he had like a over three, maybe four ERA. The strikeout rate was there, but he lost a lot of his command this year. I mean, he's still projected as a top 10 pitcher, but it just goes to show you like the competition at the college level, it, it varies. And you got to think how many of these college players don't even make the MLB into low A, high A, double A, any of that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, when you compare what they do in college to the minor leagues, where do you view college? Like, would you say it's below low A? Would you say it's like rookie ball level? Would you say, like, in your mind, what do you think? Do you think it's below all of those tiers altogether? I guess that's the question I'm trying to ask you. Um, I think it's hard. I think it's hard to evaluate. I think what a better evaluation is utilizing the NCAA tournament college world series as kind of your benchmark, because at that point you're playing the better teams. If you look at Florida, Florida probably has two to three guys. They'll be drafted. You have a top five pick mixed in there. So, you know, you have, you know, equal level mm -hmm. talent. Um, and I think college world series, depending on if the right teams are in, which we saw this year, wake forest and Florida go against LSU and, and vice versa. Now you're talking about probably in between high A and double A for me. These players are going to probably be drafted and put in A or high A and then quickly advance to double A where they belong. So I think you have to gauge that. But I also think you have to gauge, you know, regular season play for what that is, which is probably A ball. Because um, you're going to realistically have throughout conference play good teams, bad teams. And you have to look at then which conferences are these guys in for Skeens and um, Dolander. I give them a plus because they're both in the SEC. So they're playing great teams all the time, right? That's probably high A. And I'm probably more willing to draft these guys at the upper tier one through 15, knowing, okay, I can project them to be in the majors within a year, year and a half. Dolander's numbers are pretty eye-popping when you look at him in 2022 for Tennessee. It was 10-0 and 0 with a 2-3-9 ERA. That was 14 games started, 16 total games, registered in at 79 innings. 108 strikeouts. Very good season. Uh, 2023, this year, big jump back. So he had a 4.75 ERA, 17 total games, 89 innings, so only 10 more innings, um, and 120 strikeouts. Now, the one thing I, I do not know that I'll also have to look into is whether these innings are a reflection of the College World Series or if they're not. If the tournament play is not included in these innings, we're talking about a very different picture to paint for Skeens. Um, it's something that could concern me because he has pitched a lot of playoff baseball. But, um, yeah, I, I would take a lot of these guys as in between high A and double A. I like that. And I was kind of viewing somewhere between – I was teetering between are they high A or low A, and that's kind of where my thought was in comparison to the rest of the minor leagues and prospects that we talk about on a weekly basis. So I'm glad we're on a, a similar path. I'm curious what you think. Do you think uh, Dolander has a great career, or do you think that last year was just a blip and he just outperformed his numbers? Where where do you view Chase on your prospect forecast, I guess I should say? It's hard because it could have been usage. You know, 2021, he came over from he, – he pitched at Georgia Southern. He had 12 games, uh, 11 started. He only had 49 innings. So you saw a 30-inning jump into 2022. 
which at age 20 might have been a big deal, um, might have impacted him in the 2023 season. Also, you have to think about like competition level coming into 2023. I'm not as versed with the SEC. I'm not as versed with, you know, what teams are hot in, in college baseball. But you just look at LSU in that conference. Pretty good team, right? Um, you're going to have more competition as well surrounding Tennessee. So it might have been an increase in, in competition. It might have been he went from um, starting position one in the rotation, pitching on Tuesdays, to maybe now he's pitching on Thursdays. There are a lot of variables to that. Mm-hmm. I would have to watch the film. Um, yeah. I, I, I would like be, that. I'd be willing to take him top 10, no problem, with the fact that, like, okay, Skeens is there. He's gone. I'm going to take this kid with the hope that I'm, I can fix him, right? And maybe there's an injury we find out in the physical. Maybe there's, maybe there's something going on. But, yeah, big bounce back. And the last thing I'll say is we have two prospects that we've been monitoring pretty heavily in the minor leagues. And I think at the end of the day, the perfect representation of, like, what is this college translation to minor league baseball? Like, look at Carson Wisenhunt. Yeah, I pitch it at East Carolina. So we're not talking about a great competition school per se. Still, you know, D1. Currently at AA 11 games, 184 ERA. Um, that has changed. This is just a screenshot I'm pulling up. So this was probably three weeks ago when I pulled him out. But then we also look at one of our favorite players. Um, I can't think of Chase's last name right now because it's not in front of me. But um, help me out uh, with that. One. Chase Hampton. Yeah, Chase Hampton. Right? Same yeah. thing. Fifth round pick, right? A guy that we've been monitoring all year is up there as high end strikeouts in the minor leagues. Uh, he went to Texas Tech. Like six round pick, excuse me. So Texas Tech also decent competition, but we're not talking about LSU, just dominating the minor leagues. So these guys being in Double A, I think it's probably a fair assessment when you go from college to the pro level. If you have a good pitch mix and like you have grades that are going to translate, Double A is kind of where you should be. That's the test, right? And we're seeing that kind of with Owen White. We saw that a little bit with Brandon Fott last year. Like Double A is where we know if you're a major league pitcher triple a and then your first couple weeks in the major leagues we know what kind of major league pitcher you're probably going to project are you going to be up and down or are you going to stick yeah i completely agree with that carson wisenhunt for the record has a 5.91 era since being called up to double a that is only in 10.2 innings he still has 15 strikeouts um and does have a one home run given up um and that's over three games so Giving up a few runs there, but the strikeout rate is still there and still steady. So I, I still like it. Just I'm going to chalk that up to a learning curve at a higher level and higher competition. Yeah, I think those numbers are things we'll monitor throughout the rest of the season. Um, you know, we're going to continue to have midseason updates. And as we have more data for some of these kids that have just been brought to double A, I think we'll have a better picture on that, as well as some of the names within this prospect list for the draft. We'll probably dive into a little bit deeper, kind of highlight some of the guys Middle of the first round and in the first round, looking at second round pitchers from college that we like kind of forecasting into 2024 uh, and probably the next few weeks before we have the draft here. But Richie, let's dive into today's details. We are doing the AL West prospect risers and fallers. We're going to start off with the Houston Astros. So go ahead and list me three risers for Houston's organization. Yeah, the first name we got is Drew Gilbert. He's the first round draft pick for the Houston Astros last year. He's risen from single A to double A. He has kind of hit a speed bump, though, since he's been promoted to double A in his last 10 games. He's batting 167. However, he's a plus defender. He has got a 60-grade hit tool, and he's just risen through the ranks. I believe he's um, on MOB's top 100 prospects list now, so that's always an accomplishment. 
The next one is Spencer Arigetti, who we like to call Spaghetti. Um, he has risen through the ranks as well. He is, I'm trying to pull it up. He has moved up all the way to, where is he, where is he, where is he? I just saw him. He's number nine on the prospect ratings for the Houston Astros, 23 years old. He's a six-round draft pick out of 2021 for them. He's got an amazing fastball, gets a 60 grade on that. He's got a curveball at 50, but it's really known for his slider that he has at 60. So more so a two-pitch pitcher that we're seeing here. I know he likes to use those a lot. I think he projects as a multi-inning reliever, possibly a closer, but there has been some talk of his delivery not being suitable for a starter. Um, I actually got that from your guy, Prospect361, Matt, so kudos to you for that shout-out. Um, and then the third one we have as a riser is Ryan Clifford. He was an 11th-round draft pick. Um, I'm trying to see where he is. He's their fourth-ranked prospect now. He's got a 50-grade hit tool, 55-grade power. Um, he's currently at high A, started the year at low A, but in low A, he was killing at 337. Only had two home runs, but since he got moved up to high A, he now has eight home runs on the season, and that's over 33 games. His average is a little bit lower at 252 since getting to high A, but nonetheless, he has moved up and caught the eyes of some prospect scouts. Those are the three risers for the Houston Astros. Should we move on to the fallers, Matt, or you want to touch on these guys? Yeah, I'll just touch on real quick. Drew Gilbert, uh, Self Relic, Evan Carter, all kind of guys that I'm lumping into the same category, which is a starting outfielder. I think Drew Gilbert has probably would rank second for me. I think Evan Carter's probably a little bit more power. Uh, probably going to hit for a little bit better average. Gilbert though could be a you know a, a very similar player, almost a clone like, a little bit less production in my eyes. And then Self Relic, less power than the other two. Good hit tool as well. Probably the best hit tool of the three. But I think you can look at all three of these guys and, and be comfortable with them as a third, fourth outfielder. If you're in three outfielder leagues, if you're in five outfielder leagues, like that's a really nice fourth outfielder. Um, and these kids should be pretty consistent. They've shown pretty consistent health outside of, um, you know, the recent uh, events for South Relic. And Carter obviously had the wrist. They've had good track records of being on the field. So I kind of lumped them together. Um, and then Ryan Clifford is probably the one I'm most excited about. Houston's organization is much like the rest of the AL West, kind of lacking high-end prospects. I think a lot of it was the, regi the regi uh, regime change when the cheating scandal happened, losing their general manager, shifting into a new organizational philosophy, as well as looting, losing international signing bonus money, losing um, the opportunity to have prospects and draft picks as well. Like their system has been tapped, but. I think Ryan Clifford was a steal in the 11th round, had the expectation that he would commit to Vanderbilt. So he fell on the draft. I think we're talking about a guy that could possibly have all-star upside at a young age. He is developing from, from the high school ranks. So we could see some projection from him that might rise him in 2023, 2024, quite a bit higher on lists. Um, the other guys on this list, we have Corey Lee listed as well, catching prospect, um, as well as Joey Looperfield, I just butchered that. It's Lupifido. Lupifido? Lupifido. I'm not, I'm not familiar with him, so that's a new name um, to me. I'm gonna have to keep an eye on him. So Lupifido. I would pronounce it Loperfido. Loperfido. I don't it's know. A great we name. could be both be butchering it here. Um Corey Lee, I think, probably takes over for Maldonado, similar in a lot of the approach, batting two ninety three in the minors, but he has a seventy grade arm. That's obviously what Maldonado is known for. Probably an eighty grade from Maldonado. 
And uh, Looper Field, though, is going to be a super U guy. Uh, 290 average, 13 home runs. He's 24, plays all over the diamonds. These guys for the Astros are kind of just like plug-and-play guys that they've been utilizing over the last couple of years. But I do think Clifford is a starting player in the major leagues. Yeah, so let's move on to some fallers. That we've got two listed here. The first one for me is Pedro Leon, and he's actually done okay recently. We got our notes. He hit for the cycle over the weekend. However, he's a faller because he was signed internationally in 2021. A little bit older at 25. I expected an ascension similar to Oscar Colas as far as getting to the MLB in that timeline. Oscar Colas has since fallen off and gone back to AAA. But the point is, is he's been stuck at AAA since being signed in 2021. In 2021, he batted 131 at AAA. Then last year, batted 228. This year, he's gotten a little bit up to 264. He does have 11 home runs. Um, Matt, I see in the notes you have him listed as a Jose Siri comp. Um, not familiar with that and looking at their similar play styles, but the lack of his development um, is what concerns me. Um, I feel like he should be at the MLB level by now, and he actually was rostered in our Dynasty League a couple of years ago, and when he faltered, he was dropped and is still sitting out there. So. He's the number one follower for me. The second is Forrest Whitley. The guy can't stay healthy. The Astros had a plethora of injuries this year with their starting rotation. Lance McCullers, Luis Garcia. There's another one that I'm blanking on, but they're now rolling with JP France and Ronaldo Blanco, I believe. So the opportunity was clearly there for Forrest Whitley to come up and showcase what he has but he's currently out with an injury and it's escaping me what it is. Um, but I believe he shut down for the rest of the year. So that is disappointing as well. And it honestly reminds me of Brent Honeywell. I don't ever see him having a starting rotation gig and he's going to be a one to two inning middle reliever, just like Brent Honeywell is right now. And I see nothing more from Forrest Whitley. Yeah, it is really disappointing. You're talking about a guy that was a top 10 prospect, you know, the next emerging dominant pitcher in the major leagues, ace-like level, and we just haven't seen the ability for him to stay healthy. And it's really unfortunate because we've seen Mackenzie Gore kind of go through the same the same troubles and, like, figure out how way to stay healthy and to stay consistent. If I'm correct, I think it was a lat for uh, Wheatley this time. That sounds about right. Uh, Pedro Leon, though, just touching on him really quickly, the reason I say Jose Siri, which – was also a Houston Astros organization uh, developmental piece. When you look at the comps, it's speed and power, inability to hit the ball consistently. Jose Siri, if you look at him in 2022 for the Astros, he had a batting average, which was an abysmal 213, uh, 178 in 2022 as well. That was with the Astros, excuse me. And then in total with the Rays, he had a 292 um, on base percentage. So inability to hit and get on base I think the same thing can be said for Pedro Leone. The tools are there. I think there's an opportunity if a team gives him a shot, kind of like what the Rays did with Siri, that he could develop into a player that could be a useful player from speed and power, but he just hasn't developed into the all-around player they had hoped and kind of the tale of the last stretch of prospects for the Astros. Yeah, I said so Pedro Leone will be interesting to see if and when he comes up and what he can produce uh it'll be interesting to see for sure so moving on we're going to hit the los angeles angels next and i think we should probably just jump in here and say this uh we've said this to each other kind of off the air but 
We're not super thrilled on the AL West. Um, I think it's probably going to be my least favorite divisional breakdown for risers and fallers. Uh, you know, we spent quite a bit of time last week on the NL West, and there was a lot to be excited about. But as we go over these next few teams, it's not the same situation. So let's break into the Angels. Uh, Richie, I'm going to list them off for you. I want you to kind of give me your thoughts. First off, we have Ben Joyce. Uh, coming in at two, we have Logan Uhapi, who has made his major league debut. And then at three, we have Kai Bush. What are your thoughts on these three players? Yeah, Ben Joyce, love him. I think he's their future closer in waiting. Um, I believe he's out with an injury currently, but he was recently called up, did okay in his first stint, four innings, five strikeouts, four walks. He's a 4.5 ERA, but obviously he's still young, only four innings pitched in the, the big leagues. He's got an amazing fastball that can touch 105. Love to see that. Um, he's got an okay slider, grades out at 50. I, I mean, any closer that can pitch 102 or higher, you're thinking Felix Bautista, Ryan Helsley, uh, Aroldis Chapman. Um, God, I can't even think there's more and more every year. But Johan Duran. Johan Duran. Like, when you can throw that fast, it doesn't matter what type of shape and stuff plus grades you get. I don't care who you are. You're not going to be able to hit anything over 102 and 103 without getting lucky. So I, I see him as a, a future stud reliever at his peak. I think he's top five, something similar to Emmanuel Classe when he was coming up through the ranks. Logan Ohapi, I loved what I saw from him. You actually snagged him pretty early in our Dynasty League, but then he had that labrum tear, which is always disappointing. And you know how I feel about labrum tears. I always fear that you've lost all your power, and that's why I'm down on the top prospect for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm blanking on his name right Drew now. Jones. Drew Jones, yeah. So I'm curious to see what happens with Logan Mojapi, but he did enough to be a riser for the prospects on this list. Kai Bush, this is a name you added because I only had two risers on my list, but um, I like he gets above average grades on almost everything besides his curveball. He was a second-round draft pick in 2021, only 23 years old. He's currently at double-A. He moved up from rookie ball straight to double-A, so he skipped low ball or low A and high A. He's currently got a 2.25 ERA, but he only has four innings pitched there. It looks like eight innings pitched altogether this year, so it looks like he's just starting right now. I'm not sure if he dealt with an injury or something, but I'll pass it on to you to give some more info on Kai Bush. Yeah, I have Kai Bush listed. I, I think what we're going to look at here is a projectable riser in second half. Um, obviously, shortened season right now after coming back from the injury. Um, looked for a designation. I wasn't able to find anything I didn't dig too deeply. Um, projectable, though. And that's why I like Bush, 6'6", 240. You have the, the high-end um, extension ex expectation for Bush. I like the mix. And I think ultimately the big reason that I think we could see an ex um, a quick ex uh, ascension for him is organization. We've talked at length about the Angels not having depth per se. And, you know, they've chosen to draft at the college ranks quite aggressively. We've seen some of those players come up either in um, you know, spot starts or back into the bullpen so far, and it just hasn't showcased a lot of flash. I think Bush might be the guy that kind of follows in the Detmer ascension. I don't think he necessarily has a put-away pitch as uh, highly graded as Detmer's, but I do like the projectability. We've talked a lot in the show about age 26, 27, 28. I think Bush could be one of those guys that's top 40 at that age. Obviously, I want to see some numbers at double-A. 
but uh, also another organization that when we scoured through the ranks, not a lot to get excited about. So Bush was a name that I think can absolutely be someone to keep an eye on and monitor. Yeah, it'd be interesting. And then for some fallers, the first one, no surprise here, Joe Adele, quad A superstar, mashes at triple A level. I think he had a home run that was, what, 511 feet for AAA not too long ago. But he struggles when he gets to the MLB. I think he will forever be a faller, and this is one guy that I will fall on the sword as being wrong on. I thought he was going to be just like Ronald Acuna, Julio Rodriguez, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, one of those can't-miss guys, and... Man, if he could have just figured out MLB level, man, he would have been a superstar. And number two, Edgar Cuero. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but he was an international signee from 2021, only 20 years old. He is a second-rated prospect for Los Angeles Angels. However, he is struggling a bit um, since being moved up to double A, hitting only 244 and only two home runs. It's the two home runs for me. He gets average power at a 50 grade out of 80. I was expecting a little bit more out of him, so I'm a little disappointed with his development so far. And then lastly is Jordan Adams. He's, I think he was one of their top prospects not too long ago, and honestly, I've forgotten about him. He's fallen down all the way to number 27 on the Los Angeles Angels rankings, Jordan Adams, that is. And he's mostly known for his run, gets 80-grade top rating you can get. Um, but he's just struggling at AAA, only batting 244. And he's got 79 strikeouts to 31 walks, so you hate to see that. And... Yeah, it just sucks for Jordan Adams that I feel like those Los Angeles Angels can't figure out these outfield prospects. Yeah, they chose to draft Adele, who was athlete first, projectability, and then they chose right after that. I think Adams was taken the, the following year. If it wasn't the following year, it was the year after. Um, same profile. And I was kind of scratching my head at it because you had just taken the risk on taking Adele, and you saw Adele ascending through these lists, even though there was some concerning numbers attached to Adele. And they were like, okay, let's just do it again with Adams. And you look at Adams in 2023 with a 33% strikeout rate. And it's like, okay, we just have another Joe Adele, right? We have Adams 12 home runs. You have 22 stolen bases. So you have the power, you have the speed, but the strikeout rate, it's just not going to translate to on-field production. And sure, you might have a usable outfield with a 80-grade speed and a 60-grade field, but there isn't enough room for Adele. There's not enough room for Adams. So I think it was just poor uh, execution from the organization. You kind of talked about it being a in a, the hopes of Adele being the next Acuna. In reality, Adele and Adams really turned into the next Buxton. And um, they can't even break the major leagues like Buxton could because Buxton had at least had the opportunity of playing at the time on a poor team where they could allow that development at the major league level to struggle for a while until he figured it out. Neither of these players are going to have that opportunity unless this team goes for a full rebuild. So just disappointing, and I think we have two players here that need to be moved to an organization, maybe Kansas City, um, where th there's opportunity for playing time and major league development. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those outfielders, if not both of them, get traded with Otani being, um, you know, on the last year of his contract with the Angels. They have done well of recently i don't know where they are in the standings but i know they're catching up to the rangers and the astros in the rankings i don't know they are they are wild card they are. they are wild card right now if i am correct they they are in competition for wild card if not holding a wild card so 
you know. And if I'm the Angels, you know, there's talks of you selling Otani and moving him to the Mets or another team that can't re-sign him long-term with the hopes that you can re-sign him. But, I mean, one, that puts a sour taste in Otani's mouth. But, two, like, if you even have a wild card, you have to just go all in. This is your last year with Otani. Trout's not getting any younger. You just need to make that push and just go for it. You've got the pitching depth to do decent. You just need some bats. Like, package Joe Adele with Jordan Adams and, I don't know, any of these other guys and try to get something or some bullpen depth or something. I don't know. Well, I think this is the opportunity to completely unload everything, right? Like you're either going to re-sign Otani or he's going to walk and you're going to be left for a rebuild either way because Trout's aging, right? So you have Cuero. It was one of your highly rated prospects in your organization at number two. You already have Ohapi as your starting catcher moving forward for presumably the next six, seven years while he's under contract. You trade Cuero, you trade Adele, you trade Adams, you trade Bush, you trade Ben Joyce. You throw all of them out there. And you go get Bieber, you know, like, is Bieber the best name? No, but it, that package should get you Bieber. Does that package yeah, get if, you Burns? Probably not. If I'm the Angels, though, I'm not looking for pitching. I'm looking for hitting. How often is it that you hear only Mike Trout and Otani did something for Yeah, that, but, you know. Yeah, but when they do something, they score four runs. What do they do? They give up seven, right? Yeah. Outside of Otani, you have Reed Detmers, who up until – Three weeks ago, it had been terrible all season, right? Sandoval had been bad up until uh, probably two weeks ago. You have guys that are, have ERAs at four, five, five. You need one more yeah. arm that can go into, especially a playoff series. Like you're talking about making the wild card, you got a three game series, right? You know Otani's on the mound for one of them. Do you trust anyone else in this rotation to go game two and game three? I don't. Like, yeah, so that's true. Otani wins game one and you, you know, you get swept the final two games. So <laughs> I don't yeah, think, true. I do not think they that's have true. enough talent to get a Burns um, or to even get, I can't imagine that the Mets would even consider trading Verlander or Scherzer with the way they run their organization, but like even to get one of those guys. But I think the price for Bieber is probably lower because the metrics are down. The numbers are down. He's unhappy. They know they're trading him. That would be my target. And I, I think these six names that we talked about are all guys that should be on the table. Yeah. Could you imagine if the Angels traded like somebody like Reed Detmers and got Corbin Burns or something? Throwing one of your actual starters right now to upgrade? Yeah. And I don't I, know if that's not, that's pretty ballsy, but I mean, but listen, like this you said it, this is it, right? This is this is the end of the line. Like they they have to know in that organization that Otani is either considering or completely out on resigning. And if he's completely out on resigning, you have no choice but to just push it for the next month and a half. Yeah. And if in a month and a half you're out of wildcard contention, then you trade him, right? You trade him to the Mets for that package that's running rampant on Twitter and MLB Network. But um, let's move on. We're going to talk about the A's. Um, another organization that, uh, yikes. Uh, go ahead and kick us off with a couple of these names, and uh, we'll kind of fly through this one. Yeah, uh, the first riser, speaking of 102 fastballs with Ben Joyce, the first one for the Oakland A's is Mason Miller, somebody I roster in our Dynasty League. He's currently injured with elbow inflammation. Surprise, surprise. That happened after he went, what, seven no-hit innings before giving up one. Um, so not surprising that he's injured. The A's don't know how to manage him. But nonetheless, he is a riser. This is somebody that wasn't even on most people's radars coming into the year. Uh, I had a, I don't even remember 
where I found out about him, but it was something I saw that he did in the AFL uh, Arizona Fall League, kind of similar to wherever I found the information on Ronnie Mauricio. And I was like, I'm going to keep an eye on this kid. And his first outing in the minors was, I think, like, five perfect innings for double a and then he got moved up to triple a and then immediately got called up so i snacked him he is a riser for sure the second is zach geloff he is a third baseman the third overall prospect for the oakland a's he was a second round pick in 2021 has pretty much above average or average grades on his hit power run you name it defense He's batting 282 for triple A. He's got seven home runs, 71 strikeouts, a 39 walk. So it's not the greatest, but it's not horrible. He has risen. I could see him being called up probably next year at some point. And then the last riser for me is Lawrence Butler. Uh, I remember, was it in spring training? Lawrence Butler came out. He has that swag. He was talking about how everybody in the AAA affiliate calls themselves the New Oakland, referencing Tyler Soderstrom, Zach Geloff, and Lawrence Butler, and how they're already deeming themselves as the next wave for them. He's currently batting 284 at AA. He has nine home runs and 52 strikeouts to 26 walks. He has an okay hit tool at 50. gets a little bit above average with the 55 grade power. So I could see him getting called up similar prospect timeline to Zach Geloff somewhere around next year. But overall, when we put this in perspective to the rest of the prospect world, I'm not that interested in Lawrence Butler and Zach Geloff in I don't, I don't even know if I'd rank them in maybe just outside my top 200 in that range. So somebody I'm not overly looking for unless I'm in a deeper dynasty league. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with you. Um, Galoff, seven home runs in Vegas. So that was a, a notation I had for us. You only have seven home runs in Vegas. Power has to be something that I'm really concerned about. We're high altitude here. Um, you know, it's warmer climate. Ball's going to fly. That's something we'll talk about with Tyler Solstrom in a minute here. Um, Lawrence Butler probably comes in fourth of those outfielders I talked about earlier with Gilbert, um, South Relic, as well as Evan Carter. You know, we could put a different list together, but he's the least I'm excited about. Although I do think he can be a streamer in the future. You know, we're talking three, four years down the road. You have an injury. He might be a guy that floats on and off waiver wires quite consistently once he hits the major league level. Um, and again, be mindful, you know, they will be coming out to Vegas. They will be playing in a triple a ballpark, uh, exposed to the outdoors for a few seasons. So that might be an opportunity for you to get a guy where he has career years because of the elevation. Um, but let's move on to fallers, Richie. There's a, a name I'm really excited about in the fallers. And then two guys that I think are just complete misses. Why don't you break down our fallers? I think the number three faller is probably the one you're excited about, but the number one faller is Tyler Soderstrom, the number one overall prospect for the Oakland A's. He was the 2020 first round pick for them, age 21. This was somebody I was excited about, somebody I wanted to grab in our dynasty league before he got snatched by a different team. He has a 55 grade hit tool, 60 grade power, so you'd love to see that, especially at the catcher position. He was projected to play DH or first base, so he's going to get the playing time, especially at the catcher position. But he's been struggling at AAA, only batting 255. He does have 16 home runs, so the power is playing, but he has 75 strikeouts to 17 walks. That is the biggest red flag for me 
is his walk to strikeout rate is absurd and it's not even looking like it's on the verge of getting any better. I'm concerned that we not only not see him this year, but I don't know if we even see him next year, especially with the A's rebuilding, looking to move to Las Vegas. I'm concerned about his Tyler Soderstrom's stock, and I think it's falling fast. The next one is Max Muncy, the younger brother. I believe he's the younger brother of the Major League Max Muncy. This one plays shortstop. He's currently at high A. He was the first-round draft pick in 2021. This Max Muncy is the sixth overall-rated prospect for the Oakland A's. However, he's struggling at high A, only batting 246 last year across two stints at one at high a one at low a he better combine 229 so the average is just not there the power which he's supposed to be known for he only has five home runs so far this year so the power is not playing like it's supposed to i expected him to be a double a or triple a at this point so he's behind my schedule timeline and then last one we have is logan davidson i'm trying to find where he falls he's the number 22 overall prospect for the oakland athletics He was the 2019 first-round draft pick. So we got a lot of first-round draft picks here for the Oakland A's that are fallers. He gets a 45-grade hit tool and a 50-grade power. Looks like he's got some decent numbers, so I don't even know why we have. We should have him on the risers here, Matt. He's betting 360 for AAA in the seven games since being promoted. Before that, he was betting 297 at AA, so I'm... Maybe we misclassified him. Maybe this was a player we should have noted instead of having as a faller. But I know you're excited about him, so I'm going to let you take it away. So I am not excited about him. That's why he's another oh, faller. Um, he's 25, will be 26. He's another failed first-round pick. Um, nothing to really be excited about. Has good bat-to-ball skills, but he plays in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is very comparable to Coors Field in regards to uh, PCL output. Obviously, very different elevation, but still PCL. Uh, again, 25, going to be 26, 2019 first-round pick. Um, I'm just not excited with what Oakland has done, and I, I've got to the point where I feel like Oakland has intentionally missing picks. Soderstrom was one that I was excited about, and the only thing with in taking a glimpse at his numbers is the 298 that he's batting against lefties. You know, you have the ability to, to forecast, okay, he, you don't have to worry about a platoon split player here because he's actually batting better against lefties this season. Um, so I think things can shake itself out with Solderstrom. I think there's also a chance he's just completely selling out for power this year. Maybe his attempt was, if I hit for power, they'll call me up because the team is so bad. We're going to monitor that because he has fallen pretty quickly. Um, Max Muncy out of Thousand Oaks, California, same high school that Hunter Green attended. So, you know, Again, faller. He is only 20. So while he's falling, we could see a turnaround. Um, I'm pretty sure he's not the brother of other Max Muncy, but um, he might be. Um, Logan Davidson, as we talked about, 25, going to be 26. I understand the numbers are improving, but at 25 years old, you better be tearing up AAA if you were a first-round pick. Um, but Faller, because like I said, he, this was a guy that was supposed to be their next starting shortstop three years ago, and he's still in the minor leagues. Are we going to say that about Muncy and Soderstrom in a couple of years here? Um, just not a lot to be excited about with this A's team. And again, I, I'm wondering if there was an intention behind taking away some of that excitement so that they could help move the organization. Yeah, I I mean, so I'm curious. Is Max Muncy the one that you were excited about then? You never no, really I'm, said. I'm excited about Solarstrom. The, the okay. K rate I get, it's, it's at a 30% K rate. I, I'm, I understand it's a concern. 
Um, but 298 against lefties, like that's something to be really excited about. And I genuinely, I think he's selling out for power. Um, especially early in the season, you know, it was every two or three days you'd see that he hit a home run or he hit a multi home run game. I just, I think that organization has run so poorly. These kids are probably just running around with their pants down and (laughs) he's a young, he's a young kid. Right. And he's also, he's a former catching prospect moved to first base. So you have a guy that assumed he was probably on the fast track to make the major leagues. And then you look at the current roster and you think to yourself, okay, all I've got to do is hit a couple home runs and they'll call me up. You really get outside of where you were with your game. Um, and he's 21 playing at AAA. So overmatched for the level, possibly uh, a lot of things that I could put in there. He's still batting 255. I don't have exit velo numbers in front of me, but I'm still excited about Solderstrom. Um, it's just That's to fair. your, to your point, when, when does he get the opportunity? Yeah. I think they take their time with him for sure. I mean, they have an excuse to keep him down now. So I don't think we see him this year. That's the the big takeaway for me. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. Um, let's move on to an organization that has a lot more looking up for them. We're going to move on to the Seattle Mariners uh, and our number one player on the list you're very excited about. Let's uh, break Woo! down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like me some Brian Wu and uh, – still a little bit bitter that you had to call him on our dynasty league and make me try to pay for him ultimately didn't get him but anyways i do like brian Wu. there's a lot of comps that his fastball is very similar to jacob Degrom out there slider gets okay grade at 50 change of 50 control 50 i just love that he's average or above at everything and he was performing only a 2.05 era in 44 innings at double a arkansas 59 strikeouts to 12 walks. That's what you love to see. His first start for the Mariners was not great. I think he gave up like seven earned runs to the Rangers, but he relied so heavily on the fastball. He never threw any of his secondaries. He has since been turning it around. I'm trying to pull up what he's done recently. Last outing, five and a third, three hit, no, three walks, five strikeouts. But the previous one, five and two thirds, two earned runs and no walks nine strikeouts the one before that seven strikeouts and four and two-thirds so you take out that that disastrous first one and uh it looks like things are turning around for him somebody i'm definitely interested in i would love to have on my team the next one is gabriel gonzalez outfielder he is the number six overall prospect for the seattle Mar- seattle mariners wow uh Gabriel Gonzalez was an international signee in 2021, so that seems to be the theme of tonight's podcast. He gets average grades across the board, but he's been performing at low A. He's batting 350, only five home runs, but it's that average, and I believe he's known for his speed. I'm trying to pull up his stolen base numbers. He's only got seven stolen bases. I thought he had a little more speed to him. But overall, he's starting to rise to the the ranks, especially when you bat 350. I think he needs to go to high A, prove his worth. He is only 19 years old, so right around average for the level that he's at. Matt, I see you like he's a Matos Cobb. Uh, I'll let you talk on that later. But the next riser for me is Tyler Locklear. He is the third baseman. They haven't listed a slash first baseman on MLB Pipeline, but he's primarily played third base. He's their number nine overall prospect for the Seattle Mariners at high A. Locklear was drafted in the second round of last year's draft. Gets okay grades. Um, the opening sentence for Tyler Locklear on his page is, P. Alonzo, anyone? And that's what a comp is from a 
um, analyst on MLB Network. I don't know if I'd go that far, but he is batting 311 at high A, so you love to see that. 11 home runs. I think he's ready to go to double A and prove what he's worth, but it'll be interesting to see how fast he rises. Somebody that's definitely on my radar, especially at a position that is not so deep in third base. So, Matt, I kind of listed a lot at you with the risers. Any of these names stick out to you? Yeah, I like Wu. Um, I, I do want to see how this rotation shakes down over the next couple of years. You have Miller, obviously, being brought up. You have Wu brought up. Uh, we have a couple other names in the minor league system. Emerson Hancock, we'll talk about a little bit here. Uh, you know, there's, it's, it's a good problem to have for Seattle. It's just when the dust settles, who is the guys in the rotation and who are the few that end up in the bullpen in maybe elite leverage situations. Um, and then we talked about Gonzalez a little bit, and I have a, a Matos comp here. I really think we have a lot of guys from Hector Rodriguez to Jackson Churio to Luis Matos, who was just promoted, all kind of falling in the same um, physical bag of tricks, similar skill sets. And that's the ability to, you know, put up decent average, uh, have, you know, a, a little bit above average power, you know, provide some stolen bases, and a lot of them are international signing. So I, I think Gonzalez is just the next one to kind of enter that equation. Too young yet for me to project kind of the same thing with Hector Rodriguez for the Reds. Um, these kids are still kids, and we need to see how the bodies fill out. Um, you know, I think both of them are under six feet tall. Do they do they push that six-foot barrier? You know, do they add size where we're projecting them differently now? Um, so the, I'm calling it the Matos bag of tricks at this point because there's a lot of different players with that profile. And then um, Locklear, I, I, I think Pete Alonso is a very nice comp. I would say Evan Gaddis, but um, very different out, oh, outcomes. Evan Gaddis, that's a blast from the past. Yeah, 26% K rate, 11 home runs. He's 22 years old in high A. Um, you know, he absolutely needs to be moved up, but with a 26% strikeout rate at high A, I'm thinking that's going to climb into the 30s at double A. A name to keep an eye on, but I, I think this could be a name much like Melendez was last week for us in the Diamondbacks organization where we could be seeing we could be seeing him at age 25. Uh, we need to see how the development cont continues, but he has to continue the production of power and keep that K rate. I would say no higher than 28% as he enters double A. Yeah, I mean, Pete Alonso, anybody? No. The one yeah. thing I will say with that is when he does make the majors, how well does that power play in that Mariners ballpark? It is more pitcher friendly. But speaking of pitchers, let's move on some fallers. My first one, Emerson Hancock. He was a first-round draft pick in the 2020 season. And, he, you know, all these – you got Bryce Miller. You got Brian Wu. There was another one I can't think of. George Kirby came up last year, Logan Gilbert. Why hasn't Emerson Hancock come up? And it's because he hasn't been performing. He's got a 4.68 ERA at AA this year in 65 and a third innings. He does have 74 strikeouts, so I do like that. He's improved a little bit on that. But he's just not doing as well as some of these other guys are. And, you know, I'm expect, I'm ex I thought Emerson Hancock was going to be the next Logan Gilbert, the next George Kirby, and he just has not solidified that role. Just taking a peek at the last few game logs of his, he has like one great outing, and then there's some subpar outings in here, and then a great outing, and then a few like what are you doing like there's a two inning with 600 runs and then the one before it's five and two thirds with 10 strikeouts like can he just not handle the tougher competition i don't know 
Well, and, and mindfulness too, right? From the organization, um, he's pitching in the PCL. So one of the reasons that they brought Wu up was to avoid AAA. Is it? The, no, it's AA. It can't be the PCL. Hancock's in AAA, isn't he? It says AA. Yeah, no, he's in AA. Okay, well, that just completely defeats my argument. Yeah, that's uh, there's no reason for it's us disappointing. to... Disappointing. Yeah, it's, it's just disappointing. But again, I mean, to kind of piggyback off that, like this is what happens when they don't develop. Hancock coming out of Georgia... You know, these are these are things that happen when you take a kid and development's been tapped out. Like first round talent just didn't put didn't pick up a put away pitch, didn't continue to develop. And I think for me, I think of him and Quinn Priester almost in the same bag of tricks, like guys that'll probably be in a big ro- big league rotation and probably struggle for three or four years. Yeah. So the next one, the next faller for me is Jonathan or Jonathan Class A. He's the number 11 rated prospect for the Seattle Mariners. He's currently at double A. He actually started the season pretty hot, was a riser on some leagues. He started at high A batting 333, but he was known for having his seven home runs with 17 stolen bases. Moves to double A. His average drops significantly to 201. But he's got nine home runs and 25 stolen bases. So on the year across both, he's got 16 home runs and 42 stolen bases. Those are absurd numbers. He's a faller because the average has fallen off for me. And I believe the strikeout rate has become an issue. 97 strikeouts to 46 walks. So it's not going in the right direction. He is actually going to represent the Mariners in the Futures game coming up this year that was announced earlier today or yesterday. So he has done enough to put himself on the radar of the Futures game. But as of recently, he has been a faller. Matt, you have listed 37% strikeout rate. So anything over 25 is not great. Anything over 30 is horrible. Anything above 35 is god-awful. And then last faller that we have is Cade Marlowe. He is the number 15 rated prospect for the Seattle Mariners. He was drafted 20th in 2019. He was doing pretty well, put himself on the map last year. He batted 287 across two levels between AA and AAA last year. But this year it hasn't translated as well, batting 247 at AAA has seven home runs, 37 RBIs, 20 walks to 65 strikeouts, does have 15 stolen bases, so a little bit of that power-speed blend, but he hasn't progressed the way he was supposed to. I mean, there was some analysts out there that thought maybe he could crack the opening day rotate or uh, roster, maybe play in the outfield, maybe be a utility guy, but he hasn't shown that so far, and that's why he comes in at our number three faller for the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, Classe has been a real disappointment. I mean, one a point one one four average over his last ten. You talked about the thirty seven percent K rate. It's just really showcasing similar profiles to what we talked about um, with Adams earlier, uh, and as well as Joe Adele, like a guy that when hits the ball and when is on base is really exciting. But you have to be able to make contact, and contact has just been a problem. Uh, it, Big struggles after the promotion as well, so you have to look at that. But age for level, he's still, I think, actually older for the level. Um, he will be in the Futures game, as you mentioned, which is really kind of dis- disappointing because I don't think he deserves it at this point. But um, names that I still think could be used as trade bait as well. I think Hancock needs a fresh start. I think Class A would fit perfectly, as we talked about earlier, in the Kansas City, just give him an opportunity. 
And then Marlowe, I think Marlowe, absolute best case scenario is probably a fourth outfielder for his career. I don't think I see anything else beyond that. I completely agree with that, especially for the Cade Marlowe. Um, all right, we got one left, Texas Rangers. And I think this is probably my favorite team in the yep. AL West. Um, yep. As far as prospects go, yes. Yeah, as far as prospects. We actually have some guys that I think could be starters and some guys that I think may push an all-star game. So why don't you go ahead and kick us off with our riser and maybe our best prospect in the AL West. Yeah, so the first one is going to be Brock Porter. He's the fourth-rated overall prospect for the Texas Rangers. He was drafted in the fourth round of last year. However, it was curious because he was the best-rated college pitcher in the preseason, or I should say pre-draft rankings by MLB. This was a name I was keeping an eye on in the draft to see where he went. And when he fell outside of the top two rounds, I was very surprised. I didn't know maybe there's something in scouting report that I don't know. But it turns out, I think it was there was talk of him possibly signing with a college because he was a, a, a prep pitcher. So there was potential talks that he might go play college. So people were worried. Ultimately, the Rangers signed him for above average slot uh, going fourth round and then signing Kumar Rocker in the first round lower. Anyways, all that to say is this year he's been dominating at low A. He's got a 1.7 ERA in 12 games, 37 innings, 53 strikeouts, 24 walks. I think he's ready to go to high A. I don't think we see him for a little bit, but I don't know if he's on the top 100 of MLB pipeline, but he needs to be. He's got a 65-grade fastball. Love to see that. Uh, average or above average on his curveball, slider, changeup, and his control. So he's the ultimate package. It's just a matter of how long do we see him. The ETA says 2025. I'm more curious if that's going to be closer to 2026 unless he goes through some sort of ascension that Andrew Painter went through or Andrew Abbott. I think 2026 is a little bit more realistic. The next riser we have is Luis Angel Acuna. Yes, another Acuna, the younger brother of Ronald. I don't think he has enough power or the hit of his younger brother, but he was internationally signed in 2018, only 21 years old, about average or across on his hit, power, run, everything, 55 across the board. But at AA, he's batting 297, only has five home runs, but he has 30 stolen bases. So he's mostly known for his speed. He is rising through the ranks because that average and the speed is translating somebody more so for categories leagues. And then the last riser is Justin Foscue. He is a second base slash third base. I see him more as a second baseman. At AAA, he's batting 277, eight home runs. But I think he's more so known for his defense. He was a 2020 first round draft pick um, out of Texas. He's 24 years old. So I think he should be moving. I mean, if there's a need in that infield, or a utility, I could see Foscu coming up, but he has definitely risen through the ranks of the Rangers organization. Yeah, I see Foscu as a super U guy as well, uh, 24 years old. So, again, age is pushing him forward, and I, th I think he's kind of tapped out at the minor league level. Um, Acuna, love it. I think this could be a very flashy play, a little bit undersized body type and profile. 
but that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't doesn't play at the major league level. We just need to get him a position at the major league level where he can be comfortable. Obviously, Corey Seager is locking up sec, uh, shortstop. Excuse me, Young is locking up third. So really kind of looking like we need to shift some things around with Semyon at second. It's going to be interesting to see where he plays. I would imagine they probably put him in the outfield, but outfield is also at the current position, you know, a little a little uh, deep as well. Um, but Brock Porter is my guy that I'm excited about. I think he's, to me, he's probably the best prospect again in the AL West. I think you have projectability as well at 6'4". You know, you can see those grades of 65 fastball move up into the 70s. You want to obviously see him cut down his walks a little bit. 24 walks in 37 innings is of concern, but again, he's very young, learning to pitch at the pro level. We're going to have to monitor innings and how they uh, ultimately build him up. I think this season will probably be a low innings cap, moving into next year, probably into the 100 range. And ultimately, as you said, 2026, we could probably get him at 150, 160 innings. But Brock Porter is definitely my number one prospect in the AL West. Yeah, I could get behind that. Um, let's move on to some faller, fallers. Well, it's starting to get a little late for me. Old grandpa over here is number two. Owen White is the number one faller. He actually made his pro debut. I think we talked about that last podcast or two podcasts ago. Either way, he was a second round draft pick in 2018. Owen White is 23 years old. He gets pretty good grades, 60 or 55 across all his pitches and control. Um, but I mean, he's struggling he, in his I'm trying to pull up his last numbers, but either way, he had a 13.5 ERA in the two innings he pitched at the majors this year and his one stint in a multi-inning relief. Um, looks like he had a decent start uh, to AAA, five innings, four strikeouts, three walks, 3.6 ERA, so a little bit on the higher end. I'd, I'd like to see that a little bit lower, but ultimately he is a faller because I would have projected him to do a lot better with his prospect pedigree. Kumar Rocker, he's a faller for the simple reason that he has injury concerns out with Tommy John. That was also an, a concern with his draft status. Why I believe it was his arm that was the issue with why he didn't sign with the Mets, if I'm correct, yep. Matt. Yep. Yep. Um, so ultimately it looks like the Mets lucked out on that one. Um, and then last faller is Jack Leiter. He was the top pitching prospect, second overall in the 2021 MLB draft, first overall for the Texas Rangers. He comes in at the number five prospect for the Rangers, but he is a faller because he just hasn't produced. Last year, he had a 5.54 ERA across 92 and two-thirds innings. This year, he's at 60 and a third, and he still sports a 4.03 ERA. The one encouraging sign is his strikeout rate has improved. He has 80 strikeouts to the 38 walks. Love to see that walk rate come down, and I'd love to see that ERA come down, and I would love to see him go to AAA. And all of those things combined is why he falls on the fallers list. Yeah, I have Jack Leiter at this point comped out as like high-end upside Marcus Stroman. Um, both have issues with height, um, extension, I think Leiter actually does a little bit better job with extension than Sem, uh, than Stroman does, but I think once Leiter gets up, he's he's going to be similar. You know, not showcasing high end velocity, definitely leveraging control, um, shiftiness, and shape of pitches are going to be really key for Leiter. Rocker's the exact opposite. Does he come back from Tommy John? Does he come back healthy? And can he continue to just pump the fastballs and the slider that he uses in Arsenal? And then Owen White. We talked a little bit in the last couple months about Owen White. Um, I like the comp. And the bag of uh, Brandon Fott a lot with White. I think Fott is better. 
but I think White's arsenal and usage is similar to Font. But the problem is, as you said, we expect him to be having better performances in the minor leagues. And over his last 10 starts, he doesn't have a single start over six strikeouts. That is concerning. We need to see more of a dominance. Otherwise, we're talking about a guy that's going to be a um, number five in a rotation at best. White's got to be able to put something together. Another college arm. Uh, so doesn't have you know the biggest track record in the minor leagues and did just get called up for a spot um, bullpen appearance just about two weeks ago. So a name to monitor, but um, my excitement has definitely fallen off. Yeah, and I guess the other two names that are the elephant in the room that we didn't mention is Evan Carter and Dustin Harris. I, well, one, you guys all know how I feel about Evan Carter. I hate his swing, and I don't think he's going to perform, but he has done okay. Um, it's a nice little rebound since coming back from a wrist injury. Um trying to pull up his numbers and what he did in his rehab. But either way, I think he's back on the mend and he's risen up MLB pipelines top 100. I think he's into his, the top 10 overall now. And Dustin Harris just got moved up to AAA. But I feel like their stock hasn't risen or fallen. And for those reasons, they haven't, they didn't end up on either of our list. But it'd be besides our, us to not mention them too as uh, doing something of note. Yeah, it's interesting looking at the top-rated prospects list. Uh, you have Brock Porter coming at MLB.com's number 65th overall. As I stated, I think for me, Brock Porter would be my number one prospect. Um, I think Solderstrom probably three. I think Carter's two. Just like the contact that Carter provides, I, I do believe there's... This is for the AL West, right? Not overall? Okay. Yeah, or AL West. Um, yeah, I'm just making sure. <laughs> so Porter one, Carter two. I think Solderstrom comes in three... I'm taking Brandon, um, taking Brian Wu out of the equation because he's at the major league. So I, I think at that point, Cole Young probably comes in four and then Harry Ford. Um, and after, I mean, even Ford, I'm not ecstatic on. Um, I think Ford's probably a similar profile as Bone Naylor. Just a very bad, bad, bad group of prospects in the AL West. It's in, pretty incredible. Well, that's why we're doing this show is we got to touch on some of these guys just to make sure we're not missing anybody that's fallen through the radar. If you could take one of these players to be your like franchise starter, um, we talked about Brock Porter a lot, so you can't pick Brock Porter. Out of the risers <laughs> and fallers, who are you taking? For a hitter or a pitcher? Or either either or. You just, you just get to pick one. One guy to like be your, you know. he's Be my guy. Be your guy. Probably Brian Wu. Okay. I mean, that's fair. You probably don't like that. No, I mean take Wu, I pro- take take Wu out. Like don't don't take a guy that's at the major league level. You're not okay. My next one would have been Mason Miller. Yeah, no, you, <laughs> no. Oh, put me on the spot. Put me on. I the think there spot. are two names that are acceptable here. Two names that are acceptable. Are you, yeah, I think. Wow, um, I think Tyler Soderstrom has to be okay. one of those guys even though we're on the he, on the fall there's just a, the upside is still there um i don't disagree i didn't he wasn't one of my two but we'll we'll say there's three because i agree with you i would have said gonzalez or acuna just because at least you have bat to ball contact skills and lower strikeout rates so like you can project that they'll be a starter for you that's fair i um 
Yeah, I, I guess I was thinking more so our league where power plays a little bit more, where mm-hmm. Acuna is not going to have that. He's more of a stolen base average guy. So I view him as that Dominic Fletcher or not Dominic, David Fletcher or Luisa Rise type with the, the high average, a little bit of speed, that type of player. Gabriel Gonzalez, the book's still out on him. He's still young. So it's hard for me to say that I would make him one of my franchise there's just still the wide range of outcomes that could happen for gabriel gonzalez the one name i was thinking about was drew gilbert um even though he's had a a slow start he has had a great ascension he has the pedigree that was the one name that stuck out to me a little bit yeah i like gilbert it's um yeah it's just it's really interesting to look at there there isn't a single player i think within this list that I would say like, okay, you know what you're getting. You're getting a franchise quarter stone. I think Solderstrom coming into the year was probably that guy. Um, and now he's not obviously. So well, there's concerns there. Um, as far as uh, knowing what you're getting, I think force Whitley falls in there. You know what you're getting and that's an injured arm. Well, I mean, even <laughs> all jokes aside, even just looking back last week, like you have Luis Matos, you have, um, you know, Yanquil Fernandez. Uh, honestly, to God, I think I'd take Sterling Thompson almost over every single one of these guys. Um, maybe not. Yeah. It, it would be hard. I'd I w- take him over 80% of these guys. Yeah. Um, I'm probably taking Jordan Lawler over all of them. You yeah, know, I would agree. You know? Well, maybe. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I'm taking Emmett Sheehan over almost everybody but Wu and Porter. And, you know, I'm probably taking those two over Sheehan, but it's 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 close. I'm looking back at the NL West just for like reference points here. Um, I'm taking Carson Wisenhunt over everybody on, on on this list from today. That's it's not even let close. Let me pull up let me pull up the NL West outline we had here. Yeah. I would agree with you on most of these. I think Jackson Merrill probably, like, if we're comparing him to this list, Jackson Merrill's probably top five in the AL West, and he's a faller for our NL. Um, Robbie Snelling might be the third best pitcher in the AL West. Um, You know, Kyle Hurt looks differently if he's in the AL West. Um, Drew Jones is probably just on pure speculation above everyone other than Solderstrom, um, even Gilbert for me, because Gilbert, you know what you're going to get from Gilbert, right? Like just above average waiver wire pickup mm-hmm. for the most part. But yeah, just very interesting. And I think us doing this exercise will play into our rankings um, end of season quite heavily. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to monitor how all of these teams kind of refill, um, refill their organizations. I will say this, doing going through each of the divisions has made me excited about going through the, the four remaining ones we have and some prospects that normally wouldn't get talked about on one of our shows. I am very interested and excited to talk about these guys. Yeah, and we will have uh, we'll do another division next week. We, as we've talked about, we're trying to avoid the NL Central. We're trying to avoid the AL East. Um, but logically, I think NL Central is the next one in line. We should do um, Unless you want international to skip our... leagues next week. We should do the Japanese league and the Korean league. No, I'm kidding. Of Trevor course. Bauer. Trevor Bauer's demotion. Um, okay, that wraps us up. Great show. Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, again, next week we will probably be doing the NL Central. So you've heard us talk about the Reds a lot. Get ready to hear us talk about them some more. 
Have a fantastic night. We will see you next week.